Hello, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to this special Read All About It podcast series, The 12 Days of Bookless. Do you see what I did there? And here's what you can look forward to. 12 days, 12 guests and a whole host of great book recommendations as each guest chooses their favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020. Well, I also choose a book I've enjoyed reading this year. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about this special Read All About It podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the 12 Days of Bookless, a special podcast brought to you by the Read All About It podcast. And I'm delighted that on this day of Bookless, I'm joined by journalist Hugh McDonald. And Hugh, you've been a guest a number of times on the podcast and I'm sure for people that have listened before, they know they're going to end up with a, a wealth of uh, reading recommendations come the end of this. Yeah, that's the that's great thing about uh, reading, isn't it? Is sharing it, isn't it? There was, there's nothing better than than finding a great book or promoting a great book. And as we get to talk about the books that I've chosen today, those have spread like wildfire through my family and my extended friends. Because you just, you pass it on, like shall we say, it's not the, the time same, like a benign virus, a book. Your book in love is, is contagious, I've found. Another thing about it is a great thing about relationships as well, because you, if you're reading books, you can say, you know, I know who would really love this book. That's a great thing, isn't it? You know, recognising something in somebody else that chimes with yourself. Because one, before we go on to talk about the book choices you have made, and, and we're going to talk about this author in the course of the chat, but because one book I did read this year, and it was after talking to you, was mm-hmm. Night Boat to Tangier by mm-hmm. Kevin Barry. And I remember at the time, I think you just mentioned it in passing when we were chatting, and I got the book, and, and I've then passed on. It's out in the world somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Passed on to a friend who's passed on to someone else. Because everybody who reads it is just totally blown away by it. But isn't that another great thing about reading that Kevin Barry, the, the author of, of Nightboat, I mean, he's existed as a, as a writer for maybe 10, 15 years. And that was the first one I'd read. And I, I honestly, Paul, I don't know why I read it. Was it a good review? or was it a, usually, I buy on spec and I'm a great bookstores or bookshop person. And uh, rather than, you know, ordering them off the net, I don't see anything wrong with ordering them, but I just like a bookshop and picking up in spec. And I think I maybe just picked up in spec. And then you just say to yourself, I'm going to read everything that this guy, see if this guy has written a message list for his wains. I want a copy of that because I want to read it. <laughs> Good, bad, or indifferent. And, and of course, that brings us to, I mean, I'm actually, when we're talking about the books of this year, I mean, I've, I've got a wee twist on it for you, you know, that, that you know, when we talk about the best book uh, read this year, and it will be, fiction that will be the most important one will be Elizabeth Strout's Olive Kitteridge. But I'm actually reading at the moment Kevin Barry's short stories, which are just out, that old country music. It's so good that I'm rationing myself to one, I did, I've just finished it, I rationed myself, Paul, to one short story a night. I saw when that came out, and, and kind of like you on the back of reading Nightboat to Tangier, I thought mm. that's definitely something that I'm going to read. And mm. interesting, that kind of style of, obviously those are, not interconnected short stories, mm. but the, the book you mentioned there is your, your favourite fiction book mm. for 2020 is Olive Kittredge by Elizabeth Strout. Olive's the main character. She links mm. all the 13 stories, mm. although she's maybe not the, the major mm. player in each of the stories. I've read it as well. And just ahead of this, I read the first of the, the stories again in Olive, Olive Kittredge, mm. which is called Pharmacy. And mm. you just read that. That encapsulates 
Absolutely. I mean, see, the great thing about all of Caterage is, again, it was an author I'd heard of, but I hadn't read. It was given to me by a friend who said, this is good stuff. He actually just sent the book in the post and says, have a kick at this. It was in the pile, Paul. You know, it didn't, I didn't know if it was my kind of thing. And then I read it and I just loved it. And I loved it for a variety of reasons. I think the biggest reason was it's a really human book. Uh, we talk about heroes and heroines. And people have this kind of idea about heroes and heroines, that they should be perfect. And of course, even in ancient times, heroes and heroines were never perfect. And, and in any time, how can they be? We're all flawed human beings. And the wonderful thing about Olive, who flits in and out of this book, and the, and the follow-up, Olive Again, which is a, um, a remarkable, I think it's even a more profound book, She's so flawed. She's so, you don't, in fact, I think in first uh, meeting of her in the book, you don't like her. You know, she's petty, she's vindictive, she's angry. You know, you sum it up perfectly because the first story, her husband's the kind of main character uh, who uh, kind of relates to a woman who works with him in his pharmacy mm. who has, has suffered a bereavement. And mm. Olive's way of dealing with that, of her husband showing compassion for someone else, it's actually, it's really horrible. It's very horrible to her first daughter-in-law as well, who's not a very sympathetic character either. But she, you know, she's very vindictive without you know, putting spoilers in there. So the thing about Olive is that you're looking at Olive in the whole, you know, really, you're looking at her as this big, unattractive physical woman, you know, unattractive in, in many terms because of, of you know, our pettiness at times, our anger, a lot of anger in, in Olive. All through the, the two books, there's a lot of anger. But slowly unfurls or humanity unfurls. And then suddenly you, there's really glimpses in the book of her real pure goodness. And I can always remember where I was reading one of these short stories. And it was a short story, and it's not, not to spoil it for somebody who read it, but it's about a young man who's very, very troubled. And it becomes clear or, or it becomes ominous in the story that he's going to commit suicide. And the denouement of that story is such a wonderful, life-affirming, invigorating. I can actually remember where I read it, if you know what I mean. You know, they, they talk about great events in your life. Where were you when? I can actually remember, you know, where I was sitting, where, you know, what it was like outside. Because I, I put the book down, face down, and, and looked out the window and went, oh, my God, the last part is just like, the last part is astonishing. I, to such an extent that I went back and I read the last part again, I just read it, the last paragraph, and just said, that's just an astonishing piece of writing. What she has encapsulated in, you know, in this story, the trials of life, the quirks of life, the turmoil in life, how people can, you don't know you're helping people, but if you try to help people, maybe it does have a sort of karmic effect. Maybe that interconnectedness that some people can disdain because they don't see proper results. Maybe it has results that you don't see. Maybe it's an invisible intangible force. So I just thought that was, I mean, that just, that just hit her for me. Um, that, I think that was one of the, the most profound pieces of writing not only this year, but any year for me. What my plan is to do now and see, I read the first story and all of Catrice just ahead of this is to reread the rest of the book, but then go straight mm. on to all of again and mm. almost read them in a wonder as if it's one book. And yeah. just You know, that journey of her because obviously in all of again, she's aged and, you know, circumstances have changed for her again. So I'm really looking forward to basically mm-hmm. just going on that whole journey. Yeah, very much so. And the thing about it as well is I'm 65 now and 
all of again is really, um, I think it's more profound than all of Kittredge. And uh, by the way, I'm not diminishing all of Kittredge, but I just think it's more profound in a personal sense because it deals with mortality and it deals with the banality of mortality as well as the the significance of it, the significance of accepting uh, your mortality and really the choices that come with that. So it's another real piece of work, Paul. Um, on these uh, shorter podcasts, as well as getting you to choose your favourite fiction or non-fiction, mm. I choose a book as well. And the book that I've chosen uh, mm. is a book called The Glorious Life of the Oak by John Lewis Stemple. And it's mm. it's so out of uh, my comfort zone in terms of what, mm. I, what I've read. And the reason that I stumbled upon it, I listened to Radio 4's uh, A Good Read. Same idea where they, they have two guests on and they mm. each choose a book and read them. And it was Neil Oliver, He's a Scottish historian. If he was chocolate, he'd eat himself. He has that voice where he always pontificates. But anyway, he was talking about this book called The Glorious Life of the Oak, and it sounded absolutely fascinating. And part of it, I, I know his politics in terms of the whole Scottish independence debate is very much, he's very much a unionist. Mm. And I don't know whether part of his choice with that is because the book is all about celebrating the oak as this great symbol of Britishness. That, that might be the case, but actually the book, it's a really short book. It's only about 70 or 80 pages long. Mm. It is absolutely stunning. It took me by surprise. It's like it, there's poems about the oak littered throughout it, but it kind of almost tells the story of the oak's evolution in terms of Britain, of when, the, you know, the first appeared, how mm. it sort of blossomed. It has, mm. you know, it, it built the ships that built the empire to an extent. You know, certainly he's, he makes the point that all the... All our kind of antecedents in terms of the Normans and the Saxons and everything, they came on longships and the Vikings mm. came on longships built by oaks. So it's, yeah. it's a, a central part of Britain. But even just we, there's just wee gems throughout it. So for example, the oldest, Britain's oldest oak, you can find it in a deer park at Blenheim Palace. Mm-hmm. It was planted in AD 970. And when I read mm. that, I just thought, like I could feel my head mm. ready to explode. I thought <laughs> something that old mm. that is so entrenched as part of this land. What's great is he, he then goes through the, the life cycle of the oak through the different seasons. Mm. And there's a bit where, again, somebody who's not really that well versed in nature, there's a bit where he describes, obviously, he describes what happens above ground in terms of the oaks, you know, the four seasons, how it also offers sustenance and comfort and shelter mm. to wildlife, to birds. But then he then takes you under the ground and says how the roots extend underground and the nutrients which are fed into the ground and fed out the ground. He calls it the wood wide web. And you just get this sense of like mm. these roots, you know, the tentacles spreading everywhere. So things like that were absolutely brilliant. And also, which I, I looked out because I knew I was talking to you today, he also goes on about how various superstitions and cures linked to the oak tree, mm. one of which was apparently in the 17th century, uh, the oak was considered a remedy for baldness. And I, I say this as <laughs> one bald man to another. Apparently, what they used to do is wash their head in water, which was used to soak leaves in the middle of mm. the, the oak. And apparently that was that, that was supposed to help cure baldness. I've not tried it, to be fair, but it was a, it's a short book, but it's, I found it quite captivating. And, and then I read it during lockdown, but I found myself just sitting out in my back garden sometimes, just find myself staring at trees. Well, this is a great thing about reading. I actually did, you know, I did, did a bit of thinking about this. I mean, reading a book about oaks, you know, I mean, where did that come from, right? And, and what's that all about? And there's actually a sort of genre that I would call books I didn't know I wanted to read, but I really, really, really did want to read, right? 
And they fall into your lap the way that old one did. And I was thinking this because I was reviewing Peter Ross's A Tomb with a View. And do I really want to read a meditation on burial grounds in Britain? Probably not. That would not be, you know, at the top of us. But I got it to review. I was asked to review it. And I suddenly realized when I was reading the book that this was a book that I just had to read. And it falls into the sort of genre of that genre of the, the other books like, and I said this in my book review, there's a book called Rats, about literally rats in Manhattan. Who wants to read about that? I would recommend it to anybody. It's just a terrific book. There's another book called Appointment in Arezzo by Alan Taylor, which is about a journalist going and meeting Muriel Spark and a sort of intellectual relationship developing over 20 years. Do you want it? Is that gripping? I would say to anybody, got to read it. It's just for, even if you're not interested in Muriel Spark, it's so good, you've got to read it. Another one is Olivia Lang's Lonely in the City, which is about loneliness in a city. Do you really want to read about something that's uncomfortable, loneliness in, a, in an urban setting? You better bottom dollar you do. It's really, really good. And, it, and it's that, I think it's a really important thing in life as well. I'm trying, I'm getting a bit pompous about it now. Um, it's to go outside your comfort zone and to be peaked, your intellect to be peaked by something on a, just say, do you know what? You know, somebody's talking about this book's interesting. You say, well, it's not a subject matter I want. Maybe not even a writer or an author I want. But go and read it, and the rewards are huge, absolutely huge. You know, it's funny you should say that because in a, in a recent podcast, uh, one of the guests, a guy called Ed Needham, who mm-hmm. edits this brilliant magazine about books called Strong Words, one of the books that he chose was uh, the graphic novel Mouse by Art Spiegelman. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never really read a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just the way he spoke about it, and you know, like that way you find, but sometimes somebody speaks, and similar to the, mm. the glorious life of the oak, it was the way that, that Neil Oliver was speaking mm. about it, and suddenly you think, as you say, this, I want to read this book, so actually, I've read The, the Complete Mouse, and I, mm. I think it's it's as good a book to read in terms of uh, understanding the Holocaust, how it came about, but the impact on ordinary people mm well beyond the end of the Second World War, as mm. anything I've read. And it's, it's yeah. done as a graphic novel. And uh, I absolutely, I, I thought it was a stunning book. Uh, but it's mm. something that, again, if you'd said to me six months, a year ago, mm. would, would you read a graphic novel? I would have probably said no. But now I'm mm. thinking, well, I would, I would certainly would, I would pick up another one. Mm. Well, it's a great thing about books, isn't it? It's the, the, the wonderful thing about the literature of books. Now look around this living room where I'm, I'm like a Channel 4 documentary uh, with, you know, dancing around, you know, piles of books, was that when I was a kid, I was, I was a really keen reader. I was a sickly child, also. I was a, 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 a really keen reader. And I always remember running up to the library and running back to my granny. And my granny said to me, what, what are you doing? What are you crying for? And I said, I'd just been to the librarian. And I was getting four books out every two days kind of thing. And she said, the way I'm going uh, with all these books, I'm going to run out of books to read. And this was like an existential dread to me. This was just like something, you know, what's going to happen if I run out of books? And as you know, the, the, the fantastic thing about life is that the more you read, is the more you want to read because you keep you go down alleys that you didn't know you wanted to go. For example, and it, it goes back to Kevin Barry and Elizabeth Strout because now when you read those people's work, you say, I'm a completist. I've got to read everything. I mean, if this 
what the evidence here, this is so good what they've done. I want to read the other stuff, even to see what was the progression, even if the other stuff's not as good. I just have to, you know, it's like maybe picking up your first, I don't know, Dylan album, you know, and going, wait a minute, this guy's done another 15 before that. What were they like? What was the progression? How did he get to here? And, and, and that is the fantastic thing about reading because it just opens up the whole world to you. And, and it's also, I think, it's a really edifying thing in life because it's, as you see, it's that your story really speaks to something that's really, I think, is important in life, and that's the ability to stretch yourself and the ability to to say to yourself, no, "I'm going to do something that I really don't want to do or not compelled to do, just to see, you know, what it's like, just to see if it if it's worth doing. You know, take that chance, just open up your mind to, you know, like." graphic novels, because I would be like, you were a graphic novel. Uh, I mean, I was very wrongly, obviously, very pompous and prissy about them, but it opened up. I remember when uh, you and I spoke before in the podcast and you had mentioned that normally you have a, a fiction, a non-fiction and a spiritual book on the go. Mm. And the, the non-fiction book that you picked out as the, the highlight of the past year is a, a memoir, Speak Memory by Vladimir Nabokov. And there's a reason that that speaks to another thing about your reading career. You pick up really strong recommendations for books, you know, the amount of reading you do. And everybody would tell you, um, you know, Martin Amos, for example, just loves Nabokov and, and references him continually, as do, do others. And I've read his, his fiction. Uh, but his memoir, if you, you know, if you read anybody's memoir is almost signposted as, as, you know, this has been a fantastic memoir. This is something that you've got to read. And I've had it for a while. One of the other lovely thing about reading is, like, I bought it in a bookshop in Krakow because it's got the little bookmark in it which designated where it was bought. And I, and I sort of kept it for a rainy day because I knew this was going to be... And it didn't disappoint me. I read it again during lockdown. And it's fantastic because it's uh, this... The genius of the guy, and there's no other way of saying it, it's a bit like... It's a bit like Conrad, Paul. You know, people talk about Nabokov being one of the great writers in English, and they'll talk about Conrad being one of the great writers in English, and people forget that Conrad was writing in his third language. Not his second. English was his third language. He was Polish, French, English, right? And Nabokov, who's got this beautiful, fluent style, is writing in his third language because it's Russian, French, and then English is maybe even his fourth because he, he was he lived and was fluent in German as well. So it's possibly even his fourth language. And it's just it's just mind blowing. It's a memoir of a sort of very rich. It goes back to his um, early days just out St Petersburg. His father and mother very landed gentry. There's no other term for it. It's early 20th century, and his father is a guy who's pushing for Russian reforms and ends up being assassinated, and, and the family goes into exile in reduced circumstances. So that's the sort of background to the book, but it's nothing, the book's completely different. The book's all about memory, about summing memory from the past, about building little blocks and jigsaws out of memory. And it's just fabulous. It's just, it's just a delight. It's funny, you get that, you mentioned, I think all of us are the same that we... We're always wanting to buy. There's always another book that you can see that you want to buy. So inevitably, yeah. at some point, you bring it home with every intention of it being the next book you're going to read. But then uh -huh. somehow 
weeks pass and months pass and then you know that way sometimes you just suddenly you stumble upon it and you, you just say hey, you just suddenly that becomes the book that you have to read there and then the piles of books uh, secreted about a house to attack at one time and speak memory was part of that as well and it interesting thing about speak memory is is the way it, it, it's written he uses words that even you know me with all my reading and being a journalist and being an editor for many years there's words in it that i have to have my dictionary at hand one of the great lessons for that or on that is that there's all these things about how you should write people write books about it elmer leonard stephen king everybody over it, george orwell you know how you should write you know you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and Nabokov breaks a lot of those rules. And it, it comes close to you that there comes a realisation it's really how you should write, it's how you want to write. Uh, have you ever been tempted at all yourself to write a memoir? No, not really. I, and it, it's funny, um, I think because of so much of my life, writing has been, you know, work, it's been a, a job. And, and I do get, I always use the Dorothy Parker thing, I don't enjoy writing, I enjoy having written. No, I've never felt the impulse. People say to me to do a book or to do a memoir, to do a biography with somebody. I'm not saying I won't do it, although as the passing years it becomes less likely. No, but I've never felt, no, I've never felt the impulse to, I think I've put a lot of sort of little bits of my life into other bits of writing that I've done for magazine work and things like that. I remember I did a big piece on my, on my father in the, in the aftermath of his death. And when I read that, I read it for a reason because it, somebody wanted to, to edit it and put it into another magazine, so I had to reread it. And I was amazed about how much of myself I'd put into that, you know. In terms of your, your reading, finally, before we draw this podcast to an end, you know, I mentioned you're always, you've got a fiction, a non-fiction and, and a spiritual book. Do you always know what you're, you're going to be reading next or is it, is it just then dipping into that, the, the piles of books scattered around the house? There'll become things, it's one of these things that, yeah, I've got an idea of what I'm, where I'm going with stuff because it may be prompted by something on the television or something like I've got this kind of loose project, Paul, of reading a biography of every American president, right? And sort of working my way through them all. And during, uh, obviously, uh, during the last few months of the American election, I went, I'll really, you know, I'll have to get back into my American presence. So I'm reading a huge thousand-page biography of Truman by a guy called David McCullough, who's written some fantastic presidential biographies. But this is already, I'm 100 pages into it, this is a topper. You know, this is an absolute topper, and it's really interesting. That book's probably been lying for about two years somewhere, and it's come out the pile. Are you doing them in any sort of chronological order? Or? No, I just picked them up. I mean, funnily enough, this David McCullough, he did one on, one of his great books was on John Adams, who was the, the second American president. So I've jumped from John Adams to Truman, of course, who was uh, Second World War. Well, listen, Hugh, as always, we could sit and talk all day, actually, about books, uh, you and I, and uh, I must admit, it's just, I'm sure everybody listening as well uh, will enjoy it. It's always a real pleasure. You can just hear the, the love of books. Uh, oh, great thing in my life. One of the great resources in my life. One of the great consolations in my life. In good times and in bad, I can remember really, everybody's got tough times in their life, and I remember how books sustained me in the tough times as well. Because actually, just before we go, that was the, the other book that I would recommend to you, is a book called Dear Reader by Cathy Rensenbrink. What you just said there is almost a summation of the book. It's a memoir that Cathy has written in relation to how books have helped her, particularly through some really, really tough times. She, she, she wrote a brilliant memoir before about the death of her brother, 
which is a really moving book. This book touches on it as well, but it's really it's a celebration of books and reading. So mm-hmm. anybody who loves reading and loves books, you, you would love Scaffy Wright so brilliantly. You would love that book as well. Another one for the pile. The never-ended pile. Never-ended <laughs> Thanks for listening to the 12 Days of Bookness, a special Read All About It podcast series that is so special it even has its own theme tune. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave a review which will help other book lovers find us. And I hope you can join me, Paul Cuddy, on the next episode. In the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.